0: Alrighty, if you've got your Bibles, Um, do you want to dive into Psalm 17 this morning? Um, We're not going to kind of go through it verse by verse, which is what I normally like to do, but actually I want to, this is an, an example of a whole group of Psalms and I want to look at some kind of, some of the themes that come up in Psalms and ask a couple of questions because like Phil said last week, we need to understand the Psalms, an awful lot of them are written by David, but all of them are written by individual people in the middle of an individual story and if you look at the life of David who wrote Psalm 17 um, if you, and you read in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel David's life was marked by conflict like even God said of him that he was a man of war um, so there were you know there were battles there were enemies there were victories there was defeat there was accusation and betrayal like you look at his story you know before he was made king after he killed Goliath he was he was a leader in the army so he led the army and even even after he became king but there was he was pursued by paul for years trying to kill him and um, even once he became king his son at one point rose up and led a, re- a rebellion against him and he had to flee again so his his life was marked by conflict and as a result an awful lot of what we read in the psalms i would say is full of fighting talk talking about themes of of battle um, and so you know, it's full of cries for help when he's in the middle of it. You know, pleas for justice, even for vengeance, for God to move and for God to act on his behalf. You see times where he's celebrating victory and then kind of mourning and railing against defeat and why has this gone wrong, um, where he's being accused. Like, he's, his whole life was marked by it. Um, and Psalm 17 is one of those one of those psalms. And, and we see in it, you know, we read him kind of asking God for help, like pleading for justice, saying, God, would you move? Would you do something about my enemies? I don't know about you, but the the difficulty is we can sometimes read David's story and we can read some of his Psalms and think that is just a world away from from where we are. Like, you know, David's enemies and battles were real flesh and blood enemies, like literally life and death type situations. And for for the most part, that's not us. And the danger is we can kind of look at those bits in the Bible and it's it's often some of the bits in the Old Testament and just think, like, how does that even fit? How is that possibly relevant? I'm just going to ditch that. Let's just jump back into psalm 23 that's a bit more comfortable um, but there's stuff for us to learn and so i'm going to pray and then we're going to read psalm 17 um, and dive in there father i want to thank you um thank you for the story god that you are writing on the earth and thank you that we get to be part of it um and god thank you that in all of this where we know god there is there, there is a battle there is fighting to be done thank you god that our our foundation is built that you are sovereign that you're on the throne and that you are victorious And we find ourselves safe and secure in you. But I pray, God, would you help us? um, Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who fight the good fight of faith. So help us, Jesus. Open up your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me read Psalm 17 to you. It says, hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find I have not planned evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. So I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. They close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down. They now surround me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion, hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. Rise up, Lord. Confront them. Bring them down. With your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord, from those of this world whose rewards is in this life. May what you have stored up for them for the wicked fill their bellies may their children gorge themselves on it and may there be leftovers for their little ones as for me i will be vindicated and will see your face when i awake i will be satisfied with seeing your likeness so it's fighting talk right he's literally mortal enemies literally surrounding him absolutely out for his life and he's saying like it's it's kind of tough language um what on earth do we do with those psalms? Like, what do you and I, in a new covenant, new relationship with Jesus, what do we do with those psalms? And I think the first thing to say is this. um, While our context is different, while I'm hopeful you don't have people chasing you down with swords and spears, the reality is you and I are in a battle, right? Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so, that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, the reality is, we are in a battle. It is different to David's, but we are in a battle nonetheless. But it is not against flesh and blood. Like David's really wasn't. You know, at times it might feel like it is, but the bottom line is this. While we are in a battle, people are not your enemy. Like, they're not. Um, If they're acting in a way that makes them seem like they are, actually our response in following Jesus is actually we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who are persecuting us. But we can still acknowledge that there is struggle, right? There is battle. There's no need to put on armor if there's not some fighting to be done. But the context is spiritual, okay? Super obvious, first line. There is a battle. There is the reality of... Two kingdoms at war. Because there is a really good God with really good plans. But there is also a very real enemy who would love to disrupt those things. That's why John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you'd have life in life in all its fullness. So there's a, that's where the battle is. This conflict between a good God who wants life in all its fullness for all people. And an enemy who would love to steal that. So the enemy is absolutely waging war spiritually, using agents like greed and fear, lust, jealousy, revenge, aggression, violence, all of those things. That's our enemy, not people. And maybe people might be caught up or struggling or maybe kind of... Expressing or displaying some of those things, but they are still not your enemy. It's it's a spiritual enemy that we have. It's it's not flesh and blood. So in two Corinthians ten, Paul talks about um, the fact that we are in this battle, and he says, you know, but we don't wage war as the world wages war. So what you and I do in conflict with enemies, like in you know, is different. And so the battle is spiritual. So the tools are spiritual. Um, so he talks about us actually destroying strongholds tearing down things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And that's the conflict, right? A good God with good plans who wants life in all its fullness, an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way he does that is he will set things up against the knowledge of God. And that's what we tear down. We're never to tear down people. We're never to go after people. Even people who maybe are, are championing things that we know are against the will of God, they're still not our enemy. Our enemy is spiritual, and anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, knowing God and being known by him, this good God with good plans. So there, there is a spiritual battle that each of us are in, but the battle is already won. So we have to learn. It's one of those beautiful tensions you have to walk in in the kingdom that the battle is won. And yet, there is still fighting to be done. You have to just hold on to both those two things. Um, And you see that often in David's Psalms. You know, he talks about the reality as people are coming against me and I'm surrounded and they're like the reality of battle. But he so often comes back and anchors himself to, The God who is sovereign and holy above the nations, God who is seated above the flood, God who is his refuge, his deliverer, his strength, his fortress, all those things. He's acknowledging, listen, there's a battle, but he anchors himself in this strong, victorious God. And for us, that victory is absolutely assured because of what Jesus did on the cross. We've sung about it this morning. Our living hope is the fact that the cross has spoken. There's been a declaration over your life and mine that we are forgiven, we're not guilty, we're reconciled. Right, that battle was completely won at the cross. This is what Paul says, Colossians 2. When you're dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15 says this, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is the moment of absolute victory in the whole of history. I love the Phillips translation of that verse 15 says it like this. Then having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered, empty and defeated in his final glorious triumphant act. All the powers ranged against us, he has defeated. The cross is his final glorious triumphant triumphant act and yet we are still in a battle with fighting to be done we've just got to hold on to those things because he said you know it's like he says in Timothy 1 Timothy 6 he's like fight the good fight of faith he says in Ephesians 6 stand firm put on your armor like there is still a fight but the victory is absolutely assured and you know I think I'm sure you've heard the analogy from the second world war is trying to kind of explain some of this tension is that you know, D Day landings where the Allies landed in northern France and Belgium, sixth of June nineteen forty four. Okay, that was the decisive hammer blow that after five years of war was like, this is this is a dumb deal. Like victory was assured at that point. And yet V E Day when when victory was declared and there was surrender was the 7th of May the following year. So 11 full months later, and there was still fighting. There were still casualties. There was still battle in those 11 months, but, but the D-Day landing was the decisive moment. And, and so it's almost like for you and I, our spiritual lives, we sort of are living between D-Day and VE Day, if that makes sense. Absolutely no question of how this thing ends. Absolutely no question of who, who is gonna win this. And yet there is still some, some fighting that goes on. So, if that's where we find ourselves, like people following Jesus, actually this reality is, do you know what, we are in a spiritual battle. Actually, how, how do we fight? Because, you know, I, I've been knocking around the church a long time. And I think sometimes we can either ignore it and pretend that we don't need to fight or we can sort of hype it up and mystify it and kind of ramp it up to a point that it sounds really quite alarming. And I just think that's not helpful and I don't think it's biblical. I actually think fighting the good fight of faith is really simple, that's not the same as saying it's easy, but I do think it's simple. And there are three things I want us to look at this morning that are ways that you and I, you know, wherever we find ourselves, wherever there may be conflict or struggle and you're aware of that clash of kingdoms, whether that's in an area of your own life, you're struggling with the temptation, whether that is with the situation at work, whether that is a health situation, anywhere where you see the enemy is, is looking to rob from the fullness of the promise and purpose of Jesus, Anywhere you find that fight, you recognize it, there are three simple things that we need to do, which is kind of spiritual warfare 101. I want to kind of just demystify it and and just, I suppose, lower things a wee bit. Firstly, is that we hold on to God's way. Secondly, that we hold on to his word. And thirdly, that we hold on to his work. And we could do that, right? That That is simple. So firstly, holding on to God's way. If you read this Psalm, uh, Psalm 17, it's really interesting. The first five verses, um, David is talking about himself. He's saying, he's almost like reminding himself and, and reminding God almost. He's saying, I have walked in your ways. He, he talks about actually his integrity and that that is part of how David, as a, a military man of war, part of his fight was walking in integrity before the Lord. So before we think about anything else, that is how we fight. By walking in his ways. So he says, and let my vindication come from you. Though you probe my heart, you examine me, you will find I've planned no evil. People have tried to bribe me, but I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. My steps have held on to your paths. So holding on to God's way is a really important way that we can fight the good fight of faith. Does that make sense? Holding on to his ways. And the thing is, his ways aren't our ways, and his ways definitely aren't the world's ways, but we are called to walk in those ways. So we fight hard against these spiritual forces. Anything that's setting itself up against the knowledge of God, and the way that we do that is submitting ourselves to the way of God. Does that make sense? Walking in integrity, pushing hard against temptation because we know, actually, know this is the way I'm going to walk in it. But if we're not, you know, if we're not doing that, you know, we can't. I, you know, it's like saying oh, would you pray for me? I'm under attack. The enemy is just, you know, chaos in my life. I've just got three speeding tickets in the last month. It's like, that's not you under attack. That's just you breaking the speed limit, right? So if we want to, like, so some of it, we can kind of put things down to attack, which they're really not. That is you reaping the results of your poor choices. Let's not give the enemy credit for stuff that's absolutely not him, but David's life and his example through the Psalms is actually there is something for us to learn in terms of being protected in the fight and being successful in the fight is about I am going to walk with integrity. I'm absolutely going to make sure my feet are walking in his ways. First thing we can do, holding on to his ways. Secondly, holding on to his words. David says it in this Psalm again right at the beginning when he's doing his sort of... It's almost reminding God of what he's done. Um, he said, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held on to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. So he's chose to put his feet in certain positions on the basis of what has come out of the mouth of God. What God has said. We have to hold on to that. And you know, that is almost like... It's the enemy's most obvious and well-used tactic in this conflict of kingdoms is coming to say, did God really say? Like from the beginning, from Genesis, that was what he came to Adam and Eve with, right? The temptation, the start of that conflict was, did God really say, don't eat from that tree? Is that really what's going to happen? Questioning, did God say, is the oldest trick in the book? And it's the one we can absolutely get suckered into so easily, so one of the ways we have to fight hard is say, yeah, God did say. And so I'm not budging. We have to have that persistence. That's what we see in Jesus' temptation, right? Enemy, exact, he doesn't have that many different tactics. This is often the go-to. Did God really say that? That's what he said to Jesus all the time. And the way Jesus fought that good fight of faith in a, in a real spiritual battle, in really dealing with temptation was, it is written. God has said There's this non negotiable, and again, you see it in the life of David, anchored to what God has said. And actually, it really partners up with um, holding on to God's word, partners up with holding on to his ways. Because it, you know, actually, so some of it is the way that I choose to live my life is that I, I live according to what God has said. And he has set a standard. He has. You know, he has got life in all its fullness for us, and to walk into that, He has given us everything we need. He's given us instruction on how we live and on how we, you know, how are we to do this humanity thing? How do we do relationships? How do I deal with money? What do I do about sex? What do I do about alcohol? What do I do when people sin against me? What do I should I do with my leaders or government? You know, how should I treat the poor? What about justice? Like, God said a whole lot about all of those things. And one of the ways that we wage war is that we hold on to. What he said, and we don't just acknowledge it. It's what we talked about, didn't we? In Psalm ninety-one, we don't just acknowledge it with our words; we acknowledge it with our walk. Actually, we live according to what he said. But it's more than that. In terms of fighting with what God said, is actually holding on to the prophetic words over our life, holding on to the promise of God and the purpose that He has spoken over your life and mine. So one of the ways Paul encouraged Timothy. Um, in 1 Timothy 1.18, he says, Timothy, my child, I entrust you with this command in keeping with the previous prophecies about you so that by them you may fight the good fight. So he's saying, uh, by those previous prophecies, the things that God has spoken over you in the past, by them, those prophetic words is how you fight the good fight. And it's, it's really easy. I, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I try and journal. I'm not super good and super regular at it but i but i try and write down kind of the things that I feel like god's saying the things that kind of keep in a record of it and then i sometimes like dig them out and, and read back through them and you know there's times when you, i kind of flip back and i'm like oh my goodness i'd completely forgotten god said that even though in the moment you think it's this really profound moment where you hear god speak you feel so encouraged you think oh my goodness i'm changed forever i'll never forget this and then and you're looking through your journal and think i have totally forgotten it completely i want to encourage you what is the word of the lord over your life what is what has he said that you need to grab hold of and use as a weapon in this season right now? Like, what, Take a moment, think about it. What are the things? Call to mind, ask Holy Spirit, remind me. Bring those things to remembrance. God, what have you said? Because it's a really important way that we fight this good fight of faith. And the third thing is this, that we hold on to, we hold on to his way, we hold on to his words, and we hold on to his works, the things that God has done. And David does this all the way through the Psalms. All the time, he reminds himself of what God's done. Let me give you one example in Psalm 77. This is verses 11 and 12. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. It's like this disciplined choice this military man's like i'm just going to remind myself again and again and again of the things that god has done i'm going to think about them i'm going to meditate on them i'm going to hang on to what god has done remind myself and david's whole life if you read his story in 1 and 2 samuel it's like you can see it's this this journey of building on this this history with god where he you know he and he took what God has done in one season and he takes that into the next. So when he was a shepherd boy, he talks about actually he'd seen God. God had helped him defeat the lion. And so he took that victory into, he helped me defeat a bear. And he took those victories when he's standing before Goliath. And then he took that victory of Goliath when he's facing other enemies. It's like he took and reminded himself, this is what God's done. Paired with this is what God said when he was anointed king and, and like, that's where his strength came from that was how he fought this is what God said this is what he's done and, and therefore I'm not, I'm not moving it's like that, that for me is the shield of faith that in Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about and we've read a bit of it he talks about you know, put on the full armour of God and then he goes to explain the different items of armour and that the shield of faith is the thing that he says that is how we extinguish the fiery darts that the enemy will throw at us that is you know, that is the enemy's tactic god isn't going to do that you're not good enough but remember you did that they're never going to change this situation is possible. like constantly accusing them, fiery darts throwing at us we deflect those by holding up our shield of faith which is standing firm reminding ourselves and reminding one another this is what god said and this is what god's done you know and that is an individual journey that None of us can do for each other, right? Building that secret history, reminding ourselves, strengthening ourselves in the Lord, holding up our shield of faith. But it's a really important way that actually we get to do life together. I'm sure you've seen this, remember, primary school history, um, the Roman testudo, Latin for tortoise looking at primary school teachers yes no right We've, we've seen those pictures so the roman shields were pretty big they covered quite a lot of their body so there was obviously a lot of individual defense for an individual soldier but how much more protected would you feel in the middle of that lot than if you were the dude out front Yes, I've got a sword and a shield, but in, in the context of that. And for me, that's you know, it was a very specific formation of, of who did what. And it makes, reminds me of that language in Ephesians, that we're being built together to be a holy temple. But there's something about when you come alongside with your shield of faith, with me and my shield of faith, that it adds to that protection. It increases our ability in the struggle to stand firm. So there's this individual journey that we have to go on, but there's this corporate we are strengthened by sharing our testimonies. So I love hearing Michael's story this morning. It's like, listen, the culture of a business changed like because Michael was positioned there and because he chose to believe for seeing the kingdom of God come and change a toxic, unhealthy, like it changes things. And that, that then I hope adds to you thinking, do you know what? I, I have a situation, there's a work environment, it's really toxic, really unhealthy. God, what would it look like? What would be the God idea? You know, for Michael, it was, do you know what we're going to have? And, and really what he had is, is testimony. Positive storytelling is like an unchurchy way of saying, we're going to have 20 minutes at the beginning of every meeting where we're going to share testimony. What's the good stuff that's happening? And like, it literally changes things. Testimony is really, really powerful. I remember when, I'm going to really embarrass Luke now, I remember when Luke learned to ride his bike two weeks ago. Not really, not really. He was little. Um, and, you know, that, it's, a, it's that kind of, it's one of those kind of benchmark moments. So he was probably, I don't know, four or five and the stabilizers come off and you kind of have a few fell, fail- And eventually got it, was whizzing up and down this road. And I remember my little teeny tiny old Nokia, it's that long ago, taking a bit of a video of it um, I think I sent it probably to his aunties and uncles and to my, my parents and to James Torrey, who's his godfather, and like, kind of just like, look what Luke's done. And then they are all texting back and t- chatting back and forth, going, Yeah, well done, Luke, good for you, amazing. Now, listen, I'm clearly that's not the only achievement Luke has ever made, and it's not like he's done an awful lot of amazing things from that point. But, but in that moment as a four or five-year-old, it's a big deal. It's like a big victory, like, yes, I've done it. And it's great for Luke to feel like, yes, I've done it. But once you share that with other people, they can come and celebrate with you. And then, but then you take that into the next situation. Right, okay, I've got to learn to do something else that was difficult. And then there's that reminder, and there's a body of people around Luke who can say, hey, yeah, but remember, you managed it with your bite. You'll remember it again. Like, there's something really powerful about sharing our testimonies. That is why... We put these cards out every week because we really believe that it makes a difference. Actually, that we can share what is the God story? What is God doing in and through us as a body of people? What are, and actually, bringing that together with prayer. So we, and we keep a log of it. And so we can say, okay, someone has come in and, and, and has this prayer request. You know, people believing for children and the doctors are saying that's not going to happen we can come back to a bank of testimonies to say but this is what God's done. We remind ourselves this is what he's done and believe in that he'll do it again. So it's and it's it is a vital thing that we do together. That's why I want to encourage you, if you can come out and join us to kind of worship and pray and see God's face this evening at room. It's only once a month but it's it's powerful actually reminding ourselves of who God is and and In all of this, when we're saying that we're holding on to God's works, holding on to God's word, it's actually that reminder of this is who God is. This is the God that we serve. And that is where our security comes from. So I encourage you, actually, where do you need to hold up that shield of faith a little bit higher? It does that look like, do you know what? I need to remind myself of some of the things that he's promised me. Do you need to hang on to some of those prophetic words? Is it that you need to remind yourself of of what he's done? And listen, if you can't think of a specific example of what you need to see done, the only thing really we would ever need to go back to and remind ourselves of the work of God is to go back to the cross. He loved us so much that he gave his son that it defeated all the powers ranged against us. So like we can always, always, if you're thinking about what's the work of God I need to go back to, you go back to the cross when that absolute victory was secure. But this is the deal. The battle is won and yet there is fighting for us to be done. God is absolutely my deliverer. He's absolutely your refuge and your stronghold. But we do have a part to play in learning what it is to fight the good fight. So I want to ask you, like what does that look like? In one of those three areas, holding on to his ways, holding on to his word, holding on to his work. like What does that need to look like? How can you apply that? I would just genuinely give yourself a moment. Actually, well, what does that look like for me right now? Because it is a really important way that you and I get to kind of walk this spiritual walk, which involves spiritual battle, but we we do it well and we do it fruitfully. And actually, so we land in a place where The promises and the purposes of God on your life, for your life, and through your life are realized. Like it's possible. He absolutely has made a way. So take a moment and ask the Lord, what do you need to grab hold of this morning? Is it his ways, his work, or his word? And what does that look like?